What's up, everybody, and welcome back, welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. We're back, we're back with a bang. But first things first, I have an orange 3D energy drink today. Normally, I go for the blue. I need to slurp on this for you because I know that you enjoy the sound of the slurp. In fact, someone messaged me the other day on Instagram and said, um, God, you slurping on those um, 3D energy drinks makes me want to buy them. You should buy them. InsightSupplements.com, Josh, 10 for discount. They're really nice, better than the monsters. So let's get into the podcast. So first things first, a little update on me, because um, I, I, think, I think a lot of people are kind of asking, like, what am I doing in between competition to competition and how am I managing things and, and blah, 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 blah. So I finished my last competition on 220 protein, 175 carb, and about 30 fat per day. So it was very, very low. It was very, very hard. Um, but you got to consider that I was very, very in demand for nutrients and very, very lean. And you can consider that any bit of food that I put into my system, you would just assimilate, use, and digest very, very quickly. This is the idea behind a reverse diet because you're so sensitive to food. Um, you kind of you give more input, you get more output, right? Which is essentially what I've been doing over the last kind of three, 2.5 weeks now post-competition. So I immediately bumped my food to 400 carb, the same protein and fat. Um, actually, it was just to serve as a rest because I had five weeks until my competition. Um, but what actually happened was, is that obviously after the initial weight gain post-show, because obviously just eating some food, um, just for reference, I can actually give you numbers here. I was 85.5, 85.6 kilos the day of show, um, which is pretty flat for me. Like I'm normally about 86, 86 and a half. So I had to like deplete, get water out. Um, and then I like to carb up on the day. That's just how I respond best. That's how, you know, I absolutely nailed that day. So that's definitely how I respond best. Um, I went up to about 88, point something like a couple days like literally a couple days of eating after so like 2.5 kilos if you consider that you can hold seven to eight pounds of intramuscular glycogen to be full so if you follow people like jared feather uh, mike israel when they carb up for competitions they carb up for like a week but they just like slowly increment things and you'll see their body weight creep up by a pound creep up by a pound it's because you can hold like obviously depending on your size like six to eight pounds of intramuscular glycogen so you can get six to eight pounds of more fullness without gaining body fat um, from that so you know two and a half kilos that's like six pounds I was actually pretty shredded still. I was actually pretty dry still. I was just very, very full. Um, but obviously more food and digestive system. So you've kind of got like a thicker waist, even though it's still pretty tiny because you're still lean. Um, I then went up to that 400 carb um, and I dropped 87. I dropped 86 and I literally hit flatline, baseline, um, um, competition weight, like four days post those two days feed. And I just plummeted down in terms of food because, because I had the extra food, um, like walking wasn't a fucking chore anymore. You know, like I, I was dragging my feet when I was walking. Now I power walk. Um, when I was doing cardio, I was dragging my feet. Now, if I ever do cardio, I'm literally like running because I feel so good when I'm in the gym. I would sit down between sets. Now I get up, I walk around, I I, I pace, I I look at different things, I I, I I I you know make stories, you know, and I'm so much more active um, during the day. Like I go out for a, multiple walks and and I start a bloody beeping. I hope you don't mind it. Um, and, and multiple walks and, and 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 I'm constantly moving, and my brain is way more active, and and my 
cognitive function is way higher and and in turn having higher cognitive function you burn more calories um so essentially that extra 100 and, let me think that extra 225 carb that i put in um, actually translated into like another 800 calories output if that makes sense so i still have been hitting maintenance the whole way and the goal has been to eat as much as physically possible without gaining any body fat so all I've been doing is just creeping that up, creeping that up, and creeping that up. Um, so obviously that initial week I went to 400 carb. Um, the week after I went to 425 carb. And now, you know, 2.5, three weeks after I went to um, 450 carb on training days and 225 carb on non-training days. My fats are also up to 40 grams. They're still pretty low, um, but they're up to 40 grams. And my protein just went up a little bit just for satiation because we know that protein is thermogenically demanding. It's the most satiating molecule um, macronutrient that we can have. So quite often, oh, someone at the bloody door. Uh, we're back in the room. <laughs> I just got the biggest box of my life come through. I managed to find the uh, the wholesale number and managed to sign up for wholesale for baby rice. And so I have 100 million boxes of baby rice. Um, what was I saying? So more often than not, like in a reverse diet for people, um, specifically when they're coming off like a competition prep and they're dying of hunger, like I'll bump protein way above like the recommended dose because it's just so thermogenically demanding and it just satiates you a lot better. Um, so that's something I did only 10 grams up. Um, and then now today, um, I was 85.9. Um, so I've kind of been fluctuating between 86 and 86.5. Um, I've also had a burger, like I had a burger off plan with a double serving of chips last week on Thursday, um, just because I was dying of like, um, just food focus and I still am. I'm going to talk a little bit about food focus later on down in the podcast, but, um, I went up then to about 88, had some bloating, had some digestive issues with that burger in hindsight, stupid idea. Um, it was my own fault. Um, and then I've just dropped since then, um, and it's because my output has been so high. I've reclaimed numbers. Um, I've, I've I've got stronger in the gym, bigger, fuller, stronger. Um, I'm actually I'm actually genuinely genuinely leaner than I was on stage. Um, I've got more striations in my glutes. I've got more veins everywhere than 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 ever, um, and I've got nasty nasty tricep striations, which has literally been my goal for ever. Um, and considering that I'm not taking Winstrol at the moment, which is something that I was taking uh, for like two weeks before my last competition when I got super dry and hard, like I've got all these things to bring back in before my competition. So I'm honestly in such a good position. I'm eating good food. My stress is fairly low. Um, I definitely feel low. I like, despite how high the food is, like the human body doesn't want to be this lean. You know, you don't want to have your fucking glute bones sticking out. And I got such, such glutey bony fucking glutes and they hurt for me to sit down everywhere um you know your knees still hurt and obviously i'm still running like you know i'm still running drugs at high, you know fairly decent doses so i'm still feeling those side effects i'm not sleeping the best um that's not necessarily that's not that's not necessarily from drugs but just being super low body fat um so i definitely feel like i'm low body fat but if i compare myself to like three weeks ago jesus christ i am in paradise right now um, the only problem for me right now is my sex drive is very intermittent. Actually, my sex drive has been non-existent for the last 10 weeks. It came back with the extra food. Like I got pretty horny after, after, after my first competition, after my, after the competition in Italy that week, I was pretty horny, which was cool. And then obviously eating more food. 
my body was like, oh my God, more food. But now that I found equilibrium, now that I'm not really holding the water from the extra food, now that my body's in, in a routine again, like I just feel lean again. I just don't feel horny again. <laughs> so it's kind of annoying, um, but, it, but it just is what it is. It's, it's part of the low body fat feels. Um, and yeah, so in between now, so what is it, three and a half weeks, it, it's literally just maintain condition, try get fuller, try get some tissue back, try get more tissue. Um, and 100% my arms have got bigger, 100% my delts have got bigger. Um, this last like three, four weeks is on a little bit higher food, um, which is cool, which is cool. It's really crazy to see. Obviously the drugs are playing are playing a decent part in that, um, which is fine. I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. It's just part of the game. Um, and yeah, we're just going to slowly creep up food. I had a check in this morning and we'll probably creep up food again today and we'll just keep creeping up into the show really. And then if it gets to the point where we think "Hmm, maybe we've gained a bit of body fat, which is not going to happen because we're so meticulous of things because my metabolism is, is rearing at 450 carb. Like you just drop the 350 carb, that's 400 calories down. You know, I can, I can up my clen a little bit and, and pull in some winstrol and I'm fucking bang on, you know, in two weeks time. So that's probably what we're waiting for. Probably wait till we're about two weeks out. We'll bring winstrol back in, possibly, possibly increase the clen dose just to come in a little bit tighter. Um, and then we'll, do, we'll just re- reciprocate what happened in Italy in terms of the peak and just come in the best version of myself. That's all I can ask is to come in the best version of myself. So that's what we'll do. That's the update. First little 10 minutes on me because I am so special. Hope you liked it. Um, cool. So now we're going to go into some topics, some topics that I've picked from, from questions that you guys have asked. And then I'm going to go um, and answer a few questions depending how long this lasts. So First things first, nutrient timing. Now, I've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast. I've talked about this plenty of times on my YouTube. However, we're always getting new people. Um, So uh, bear with me if you've heard all this before. But if you haven't, it's really, really nice to hear. And 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 it's a good outlook to look at in terms of nutrient timing. Now, when we look at um, macronutrients and, and, and calorie intake, there's very much a hierarchy. There's very much a pyramid of hierarchy. At the top, it's going to be calories in versus calories out. That is the be-all and end-all. Um, and then as we move down the pyramid, we kind of get into those uh, marginal gains, right? So first things first, calories in versus calories out. doesn't matter if you have 1,000 calories from fat, 1,000 calories from carbs. Um, if you're in a calorie deficit, you're in a calorie deficit. Then you'd look towards your, mac- your macronutrition which would be how you're splitting up your protein, carbs, and fats. Obviously, we know that we want to have about 2 to 2.5, 2 to 2.25 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Um, If you wanted to be be on the lower side, you could go 2 to 2.5 grams of lean body weight. So you could kind of guesstimate your body fat percentage, take off that. So for example, if you're 100 kilos, you guess your 10% body fat, you would have 2 to 2.5 grams off 90 Obviously, that's a random example. Um, and then from there, I would personally put my carbohydrates as high as possible um, because we're trying to prioritize training performance, recovery, and we know that glycogen is going to be our best bet for that versus fats. So I would push those as high as you can while keeping fats at a decent place. I wouldn't, it obviously depends how many calories you have to play with, but for most people, I would never go below 30 grams. And that would be at the end of a prep 
really, really pushing hard. For most people, 50 grams, like you're, you're going to be there year round um, on a training day um, or, or 60 grams, you know. And then obviously, if you get into the echelons of an, up, of an off season, you just need to put your fats up. That's fine. And then the fats will be a little bit higher on a non-training day for me. Um, now, the reason um, behind keeping fats lower on a training day is essentially just so we can keep carbohydrates higher on the training day more 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 carbohydrates more performance better recovery um, and then it also allows us to have more micronutrition coming from fats on a non-training day um, and then as we move down that pyramid so we've got calories at the top then we've got macronutrients um, which are pretty easy to work out um, going off those equations that i just said and then you'd look into like micronutrition, um, which is probably even more important. Um, I'd put micronutrition on a par with macronutrition, even though most people wouldn't. Um, this would just be make sure you're getting your, your, your fruits and vegetables and make sure you're hitting your greens powders if you're not getting your fruits and vegetables and just making sure that, that is covered across the base. And then as you move down the period, the pyramid, you could go into meal timing, nutrient timing and things like that. So it's not massively important is the most important thing to take from this. But in my opinion, it is a marginal gain. And there is some nice, good research into the marginal gains of, of nutrient timing. So um, I will tag some studies in, in the, um, what's it called? In the show notes. It's not even show notes. It's literally just on the podcast app. Uh, but I'll ta tag some studies. You can click those. You can read through them. So first and foremost, let's go into protein. So we know that we want to spike muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis is the synthesis of new muscle, um, which is a process that we need to happen um, in order to grow new muscle. The, re the way we create synthesis of muscle is by breaking down muscle through muscle protein breakdown, obviously by training, and then we need to feed it um, for muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis is stimulated by protein branch chain amino acids. Now, we know that we need essential amino acids to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis, more specifically um, two, three grams plus of leucine, um, which seems to be the key building block in muscle protein synthesis. So we know that we want regular servings of those. Um, and to get two to three grams of leucine as a minimum, you probably want between 20 to 50 grams of protein as a minimum. Obviously, the bigger you are, you, the, the higher up that scale you would go. So for me, I go for regular servings of 40 grams of protein. Someone like James Hollingshead would probably do 60 or 70. You know, someone like AJ Morris could probably do 30, you know. So you've got to kind of consider um, how big you are, how, what your protein demand is. Um, and then you could look to just literally eat that every four to five hours. The, the days of every two hour eating to keep your metabolism burning is not true. Um, that is a fast. That is a bro myth. There's no such thing as eating more regularly to keep your metabolism burning. It is not a fire. It is not a furnace. You don't need to keep feeding it. It is there. Me metabolism is just what you do day to day. So the reasoning behind the four to five hours is just to allow for full digestion of the meal. Now, roughly speaking, again, all of this would be based off where you're at, you know, so roughly speaking, a full meal would be digested between two and a half to five hours. If you're in an off season eating a million calories, that digestion is going to be slower. If you're someone who is depleted, very, very, very depleted, shredded, that is going to be more towards the two and a half hours, right? So roughly speaking, in the middle, three to four hours, 
a meal is fully digested and that means it's passed through the stomach it means it's gone through the small and large intestine and it's already been processed through that that whole gi system the gastrointestinal system and then you could look to feed again and go through that system again but if you're constantly feeding and constantly feeding like you don't it's not that you need a break uh you don't necessarily need a digestive break um it just becomes you become a little bit more susceptible to like things like leaky gut if you're just constantly digesting and constantly putting through things through your system rather than allowing the full system to go through. Um, and then yeah, so every four, every every three to four hours, five hours if you want to, like you're not going to lose muscle if you eat at six hours every six hours. You're not going to lose muscle if you intermittent fast. It's not a thing. Um, you, we just know that it makes sense for us to spike muscle protein synthesis regularly if our interest is to gain muscle. If your interest is to be as healthy as possible, you don't necessarily need to do this. Like spiking muscle protein synthesis doesn't mean health. It just means more ability to accrue muscle, more ability to, to help the hypertrophy process. Or should I say more potential? Because it doesn't necessarily translate into if you eat for every four and five hours, you're going to get more muscle than someone who ate every eight hours. It doesn't necessarily translate into that. It just might mean that potentially you put yourself in a more favorable position in terms of protein consumption. Um, so protein consumption every three to five hours, um, allow for full digestion of meal. Um, we'll go about protein intra workout. Um, so I've talked about intra workout carbohydrates and essential amino acids. There's some pretty good, um, research into essential amino acids being drunk intra drunk. Is that a word being consumed intra workout can help mitigate muscle protein breakdown when muscle protein breakdown is at its highest. Obviously, muscle protein breakdown just means breaking down muscle. When do we break down muscle? When we're training. So when when our MPB, muscle protein breakdown, is at its highest, it makes sense for us to try and stimulate MPS, muscle protein synthesis, to try and mitigate some of that muscle protein breakdown because obviously we are on this balance, this scale of muscle protein breakdown and muscle protein synthesis all the time and we just want to tilt that scale into muscle protein synthesis so those little marginal gains of intra-workout regular protein feedings they can kind of help mitigate some muscle protein breakdown is it going to be 10 15 20 100 probably not is it going to be a little percent maybe half a percent maybe you know you could never put a number on it but if it's if it's even 0.0000001 percent i'm going to do it and, and and I think anyone who's trying to be, anyone who's trying to maximize their potential to grow muscle and put themselves in the best position to grow muscle, gain muscle, body build, they should do it. Um, I think that's pretty much it for protein. Intra, regular protein feedings, high quality protein, um, highly bioavailable protein. Obviously, we talked about that um, the essential amino acids, leucine. So actually with those meals every three to five hours, you want to be making sure that you have a complete amino acid source. More often than not, that comes from an animal product, whey, chicken, eggs, any meat is going to have a full amino acid complex. If you're vegetarian, vegan, you're going to have to look at combining rice and beans, looking at tofu, seishan, things like that, that have full amino acid complex to make sure that you're getting that minimum dose of leucine, uh, tryptophan, all those different essential amino acids um you want to make sure that you're getting a good dose of those every every you know three to five hours um, and just making sure that it's not coming from trace for example 
in a, in a normal bagel, literally a normal plain New York bagel, there's 10 grams of protein. But realistically, how much of that protein is going to be a complete source? I don't think any of it is. Um, it's probably just going to be mostly made up of gluten, uh, as that's, a, that's an amino acid, and then a few other amino acids. And it's not going to be like a complete amino acid source. So imagine you, you got like 100 grams of trace macros from bagels, from wraps, from, from cereal, whatever you eat that has protein in it imagine you got like 100 grams of that and then you only have like 100 grams of highly bioavailable protein you can see where um where you might be lacking in something and the same thing for fats you know i talked about this for fats as well in, in another podcast you know fats have trace macros everywhere you, you eat a grenade bar and they've got 10 grams of fats well that 10 grams of fats from the grenade bar how beneficial is that micronutrition versus like 10 grams of fats from salmon 10 grams of fats from coconut oil like it's not the same and the same goes for protein um, you need to make sure it's from a complete source. Um, so quality of protein, protein timing, intra-workout timing, protein. don't think there's much else to say on protein. Carbohydrates. Now, carbohydrates obviously being the main driver for, for performance and recovery in bodybuilding because we're working in that glycogen threshold versus something like aerobic. We, we need like fast energy, right? We don't want to have fat. You, you you can you can get away with having a high fat diet. Um, some people work better off a high fat, high fat diet, but more often than not, we need on demand energy, and glycogen is that on demand energy. You know, you have sugars, you have those in your system within thirty to forty five minutes. You know, you have oats that is in your system within ninety minutes, and you're using that energy. So. It makes sense for us to prioritize carbohydrates in terms of performance, um, and even more so, it makes sense for us to prioritize carbohydrates around our workout, obviously having a decent amount pre, um, so that we can fuel ourselves if we need to. Um, it's not a big, big thing if you have it pre, because inevitably you will store glycogen from previous meals. If you train fasted in the morning, like you're still storing glycogen from the night before, so don't worry about it. Um, if you're someone who just doesn't like to eat before you work out, again, don't worry about it. You have glycogen stores. You're not going in empty-handed. Um, I just have it because I'm just conscious of always being fed and always being fueled and always replacing glycogen because I'm, I'm at such a high work capacity because I'm at such a high output. It, it just makes sense for me to continuously put carbohydrates in. Um, intra-workout carbohydrates, again, um, from the research that I've read, we can roughly spend about 30 to 50 grams of carbohydrates per hour. Um, so I tend to correspond my intra workout with that in an off season. If I'm in an, if I'm in a cutting season, like I'm not trying to replace the demand because I'm trying to be in a, in a deficit, but if I'm in an off season, I'm trying to replace the demand that, that I've essentially given myself, I would try and match that. So if I'm gonna do, my, most of my sessions are about 90 minutes, maybe just over an hour. So I would have like 30 to 50, probably 50 grams of highly branched cyclic dextrin just to keep me topped up from that entire, or keep keep my glycogen stores replenishing through those hours, uh, through that 90 minutes. Um, and then I'd go for like a highly branched cyclic dextrin because of the mole molecular weight. Um, something like dextrose is quite, it's quite a high molecule weight and it's quite hard to digest and it doesn't, it has quite a, a low osmolarity so it doesn't pass through the, uh, the gastric lining as easy as highly branched cyclic dextrin. So the combination of highly branched cyclic dextrin and EAAs both being super assimilatable, super digestible, um, and really low molecular weight, so they pass through the lining really, really easy. It makes sense for us to just have those intra versus something that's a bit more taxing. Like, a, like I've seen people have a whey and a banana. Like that is a lot more taxing on your digestive system. Your body actually has to like pump blood to the stomach 
to be able to release digestive enzymes. And, and that's not what you want to be doing when you're working out. You know, you want something that's not even noticeable to the body because you want to be in that highly sympathetic, adrenaline high blood flow to muscle rather than stomach. Um, so it makes sense for us to put something that's a bit easier on the digestive system intra. Now, when we train, uh, we know that we cause an upregulation of glucotransporters. More specifically, glucotransporter 4, you can type in G-U-L-T-4, um, and then just type in, like, what does G-U-L-T-4 do on Google? And it will just it will give you a pretty good summary. But G-U-L-T-4 is a glucotransporter that upregulates during training. Um, so when we, when, we, when we train, we stimulate this upregulation, um, which essentially just means the transportation um, receptors increase. You know, so it makes sense for us to feed those and to feed the upregulation of glucotransporters. So we, we, it makes sense for us to have a big portion or a bigger portion or a substantial portion of carbohydrates post-workout because we have this upregulation of glucotransporter 4, which means that we have a bigger potential to transport more carbohydrates to our muscles, therefore promoting recovery, therefore promoting more hypertrophy. So that is the reason why you'll see these bodybuilders have their big cocoa pops post 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 workout. One because cocoa pops taste fucking good. Two because it's a it's a it's a it's a fast absorbing carbohydrate, um, and you can eat a lot of it. You know, you could come home and you could have seven hundred grams of potatoes um, for like one hundred and fifty carb, or you could do like two hundred grams of cereal. Like the two hundred grams of cereal just goes down so easy. So that's why people would do that. Um, and then in terms of carbohydrates, you can split them wherever after that. I would say prioritize your peri-workout nutrition. So that's pre-intra and post-workout nutrition. And then if you have carbohydrates left over, personally, I would have them pre-bed. Um, the reasoning behind that is because when you do eat carbohydrates, they release serotonin. We know that serotonin can help you stay asleep. Um, which is which is which is a really really good thing to do. So a lot of these like longevity guys, the health hackers, what they'll do is is actually be like keto ninety percent of the day, um, and then before bed or like their meal before bed, they'll have like a big big proportion of their carbohydrate, like all of their carbohydrates, you know, like one hundred and fifty grams of carbohydrates, and that will release a nice dopamine um, release, a nice serotonin release. We know that dopamine helps you get to sleep. We know that serotonin helps you stay asleep. So it kind of makes sense to have like a decent portion of carbohydrates, you know, pre-bed, you know, so don't worry about the whole don't eat carbs after 6pm. Actually, it probably makes sense to do that. Um, we've got to consider that all of this is based off like how much food you have available. If we go back to the start of the podcast when we heard that I was on a 175 carbohydrates, you know, like there's not really much for me to wiggle there. So I was having like 75 post, 75 pre. No, I was having like, 40 pre, 75 post, and that left me with 65 carb to split over the day. So it didn't really give me much to put pre-bed. Um, in fact, I was, wasn't even having carbs pre-bed. I was just like fucking suffering. Um, so you've got to consider your overall macro intake, your overall carbohydrate intake, um, and then adjust accordingly. I think that's pretty much it for, for carbs. Um, if we move on to fats, now fats obviously have a very, very key role in hormone regulation. We know that 
cholesterol is a precursor to testosterone. So if you are a natural athlete and you have low fats, um, you may be taking away from your testosterone production. doesn't mean, you, okay, let's go bump up to 200 grams of fat and you're going to become jacked and, and all that kind of stuff because obviously cholesterol has the, it does have diminishing returns eventually. Um, but it's just something to consider that, that, that if you are running low fats for a very long time and, and you do feel a bit weird, you know, maybe get a blood test done um, and just see where your cholesterol and hormones do lie. And it would be a good, interesting um, experiment to see if you did bump your fats, what would happen. Um, but fats are essential. They're good for your skin. They're good for hormone regulation. They're good for sleep. They're good for everything, really. Um, it, you've just got to consider that fat is fucking everywhere these days. So getting good quality fat it should be up on your list. Um, I, I give out a food list for all my clients and, and there's, you know, 15, 20 fat sources that they can pick from and should rotate through, uh, monounsaturated, polyunsaturated and all these different, um, benefits of micronutrition that you can get from, from, from fatty foods. Um, people often miss out on because they're getting these trace macros. You know, if you look at, if you look at anything these days, if you look at anything that tastes good these days, there's always like three to six grams of fat in it. You know, and if you're having, you know, three or four servings of those nice things, that's like 30 grams of fat just gone. And you don't even like, that's 30 grams of your maybe 50, cal 50 grams per day gone in just trace macros. And then you've only got your 20 grams to get from healthy sources. So it's something that you need to consider. Um, uh, in terms of fat timing, I personally wouldn't worry at all where your fat is being timed. Um, if you were to be pernicative, um, and you trained in the evening, I would probably spend the first couple meals pro-fat. Again, if you've got fuckloads of food to eat, you probably can't do that. But if you're on like decent food, protein fat meals in the morning, promote a little bit of insulin sensitivity, and then just feed in that, that uh, carbohydrates the closer you get to your workout. I was training in the morning, which is why I, I was, you know, if you go back to podcast, go back earlier in the podcast, I said I wasn't having fats, uh, carbohydrates before bed. That's because I would train in the morning. So I would have first meal carbohydrate, post-workout carbohydrate, post-post-workout carbohydrate. And then those final two meals would be carbless, um, just to promote a little bit more fat intake on those, on those extra meals. Um, it can, like, if you feel... If you're someone who reacts to high carbohydrates, for example, like going hypoglycemic or hyperglycemic, um, fats can slow the digestion of carbohydrates. They can kind of take the edge off, I find. So sometimes like when I, when I, was, uh, when I was bulking quite hard and I was having like 200 grams of cereal, 75 grams of uh, like maple syrup, like because of the sugar, it just sent my blood sugar crazy. Like it really, really like made me feel weird until the next meal. Um, so then all I did was introduce like 15 grams of almond butter with that meal and it just took the edge off completely. So with fat timing, I wouldn't worry, just split it over the day. Um, and, and generally speaking, go for like 10 grams per hundred grams of carbs. So if you're on 400 grams of carbs, 40 fat, 500 grams, 50, it's, it's just a rule of thumb. You don't really need to stick to it. Um, it can just kind of help take the edge off that, 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 that big spike in insulin. Um, I think that's pretty much it in terms of macronutrient timing. I don't want to go crazy into it. Um, and I wouldn't worry about putting a veg eat vegetables across the day. Don't worry about post-workout vegetables or anything like that. That's absolutely fine. Um, I think that's pretty much it. The next thing that I want to talk about is going to be relationships with food. Um, now, this is obviously... Uh, a dodgy area. I don't want to go too deep into this because there is 
so many eating disorders in this fucking industry. I've got to be careful with like how I say things, and because there's real, real problems. You know, like when I when I say right now that I my relationship with food is deteriorating a lot. Yeah, it is, but it, it's not a eating disorder. There are people with real eating disorders who physically cannot stop binging, who physically cannot stop starving and binging and starving and binging, and and that's not necessarily where I'm going with this because I'm not an expert in that field. I've got to be very, very careful with how I tread my toes. But my relationship with food is deteriorating a lot. If you look at my YouTube, if you look at my Instagram, everything is fucking food. And my food focus is crazy. All I can think about is burgers this and, and pizzas this and and gelato and Nutella. And it's, it's literally all on my mind. It's, it's all day, every day, you know? And, and it's painful to think that I'm eating 3,000 calories and all I can think about is food. Um, but I think something that helps me is, is just being able to rationalize why I feel like that. Um, also my goal is fucking bigger than just having a pizza and, and burger. Like the feeling of not eating those things pleases me more than eating those things. Do you get what I mean? Because I know that if I just stay away, I stay away, I'm going to hit that fucking goal that I've got. And, and it's probably that that advice wouldn't work for everyone is like, okay, you've got your goal, you know, you either get to it or you, or you binge. Do you know what I mean? Like that doesn't work for everyone. Um, but for me, that's kind of my mentality. Like this goal is bigger than, than just fucking eating some food and, you know, whatever. Like I can deal with being hungry. Like I'm hungry. I'm not starving. Like there's people starving in this world, you know? So being able to put yourself into a relative position and, 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 comparing yourself relatively relatively to the rest of the world I think is gonna benefit you more than anything um also consider consider that actually if you did want to give into that food focus it will fuck you so quickly I've done it you know I gained 10 kilos in eight week uh, in eight days last year and it took me it took me until so I competed uh, October 11th, it took me until February to even feel normal because I went from a hormonally compromised, shredded position to fat, watery, unfit, and hormonally compromised in a week. You know, you went from doing everyday cardio 60 minutes to no cardio, basically holding 10 kilo dumbbells in your hand after a week, every single day, every single place you walk. Think about the stairs. Imagine carrying 10 kilos extra with you tomorrow. Every single stairs you went up, your feet would hurt, your calves would hurt, your back would hurt. That's what happened. And I promise you, it's not worth it. It is the worst feeling. I couldn't, I wasn't horny for months. I didn't feel good for months because I didn't allow myself to adjust gradually. And, and like, and now that I've, I've, I've done this like three weeks of quote unquote reverse dieting, fuck me, I wish I did this last time. Because I'm still just as lean, but I feel better. Diet fatigue is alleviated. My food focus is obviously still very high, but you know I can actually eat now. And 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 having been through that process, I'm here to tell you: don't fucking do that because it is awful. Um, I can even give you a small. I can even give you a different example. Last last week, I had a burger because I've been so food focused. And you know what I was doing? I was putting stupid fucking stories up, like "Feed me a burger." Not stupid stories, like. Okay, it's funny, it's entertainment, but feed me burger, 
blah, blah, blah. You know what? And you know what? It's subliminal messages to myself and it's reinforcing my negative relationship with food. And it was probably a mistake to do that. And then what happened is I got a burger because Callum said we need a little bit more food. Cool, can I have a burger? Yeah, of course. Double double serving of fries. I had that. And guess what? I was bloated. And the next day I had the shits and, and my body wasn't primed for that food. And it felt horrible. And you know what? My weight spiked up. And then the next day my weight went up again. And then I'm like, oh my God, like what's going on in my weight? Have I gained fat? And the mental turmoil that that brought is just not worth it. And like, if you've spent 30 to 35 weeks, George, I don't even know how long you've been doing it. You know, I, this is my 20th week. So you probably fucking doubled it. <laughs> But you've killed yourself for 20 weeks. You've got this unbelievable focus, this unbelievable drive, this ability to eat fuck all food um, and just get your head down and get on with it. As soon as that's stripped away and you've got no structure and you've got no goal and, and maybe you start eating a bit more, like it just fucks you so quickly. Um, and you can ruin an off-season in a week. And I've seen clients do it. I've seen me do it. I've seen other people do it. And... And, and and unfortunately, a lot of people just rely on the drugs um, to get them back in shape. And, and it's just fucked. It's fucked that they can do that. It's very, very scary that they can do that. Um, so to be honest, this this whole like uh, food, food relationship thing is just me talking about my relationship with food and, and how it's deteriorating. But how I'm going to deal with it is going to be surrounding myself with amazing people who, who understand my goal, i.e. my girlfriend. Um, I have a trip booked the week of my competition. You know, am I worried about overeating and binging? No, I'm not because I think I'm mature enough. I've got the head on me to know that the long-term goal is bigger. It's better. And until you, yes, you listening to this podcast, until you can commit to that long-term goal, you will continually fuck it. You know, and this doesn't mean binging. This doesn't mean bodybuilding. This just means until you can really, really, really have that long-term goal in your head, you will probably make those short-term decisions for satisfaction. And that's the reality of it. I've been there. I'll, I'll go there again. You know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I'm just saying until you can look at that long-term goal, for example, let's use bodybuilding because we're, we're using bodybuilding as an example. I know that if I just start binging, you know, it's going to fuck me very, very quickly, especially if I consider the drugs that I'm on, especially if I consider how far I push my body, if I consider where my cholesterol is going to be, and then I just start eating all this shit. Like, it's just not conducive to that long-term goal. And I have this plan of IFBB Pro, and I will not let a stone go unturned until I get it. And I think the satisfaction of that is just so much better than food. Um, not everyone has a goal like that. Not everyone has a goal like that, and that's fine. Um, I, I'm not here to say you need to go find it. I'm not here to say you're wrong for not having that goal. I'm just here to say when you get that goal, because you will, you're going to understand where I'm coming from. You're going to understand that these small beta decisions, I'm actually going to say is very, very lame of me to use the word beta but if you want to level up if you want to beat an alpha if you want to own your life and seize the fucking day then you need to look to that long-term goal and psychologically the benefits of binging the the benefits of post-show food they're not going to help you dude they're not going to help anyone so that's a little bit of touching on on my food relationship we're going to go through a few questions um and then we're just gonna finish right there 
So then a few questions which we'll just fire through, um, just because I like to, I like questions. Uh, when I listen to podcasts, I like questions because there's a lot more information quickly. So, um, is volume increase always necessary in a mesocycle? So we know that volume is pretty much directly correlated to, to kind of hypertrophy. So it doesn't necessarily need to increase mesocycle to mesocycle. It just needs to increase over that mesocycle. Um, and then obviously depending on your goal of the mesocycle, you'd need to push the volume up within that. For example, some people have a mesocycle where they'll be pushing more leg volume, so therefore you would you would, you you know you'd push more leg volume, try push that more often, and then you could kind of swap around to more upper volume upper volume and, and kind of adjust accordingly. But volume should be moving up at all times, with regular periods of uh, like resensitizing to lower volumes of of, of 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 training, which is actually what I'm doing right now. My volume is really 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 low. I do like three or four exercises, two to two sets literally. Um, and that's priming myself to come out of my cut and increase volume a little bit. How to transition into the off-season? Uh, literally reverse. Literally just reverse. Do the opposite of what you did in a cut. A lot of people just say, do I go straight to surplus? Do I go straight to maintenance? It's like You don't know where your maintenance is. Maintenance changes every single day. If you walk a thousand extra steps, your maintenance is different. This is what people forget. Maintenance changes every single day. More muscle higher maintenance, less muscle, lower maintenance, you gain muscle, maintenance grows, you know, so things have to, you just can't calculate it, so reverse it, if you finish on 200 carb, 200 protein, 50 fat, go to 250 carb, see what happens, you might find that you probably still lose weight, and then what do you do, you just add in, add in, add in, and then eventually you're going to find a place where your weight is stable, and then your off season begins, and you just slowly come up and up and up and up, um, but it is a process, you got to be careful, um, keeping as much muscle as possible on a natural prep. Um, in my opinion, elongate it. Um, the 20 to 30 week prep for me seems to be the best position to go for a natural. You'd spend 10 to 12 weeks pulling, pulling a good amount of body fat off, probably spend two weeks diet break, um, and then go back in. We know that diet breaks really, really serve as, as, as diet fatigue reduction, um, stress fatigue reduction. It can really, really help boost your metabolism back up spending a good few weeks at higher, higher calories, and then go again. Um, but everything needs to be meticulous. Don't do too much volume. Track your lifts, track your food, you know, everything I did about macronutrient timing, supplementation right, focus on your recovery, focus on your sleep, and that's all you can really do. Um, this is not a question, so I'm not going to answer it. Training systems, techniques that you don't personally use and how to program them, i.e. high volume. Um, I'll be honest, I don't really get that question. Um, I don't. I'm, I personally am not against any one type of training program. I'm very much an advocate of trying everything: reps in reserve, high volume, low volume, high intensity. You just got to kind of find what suits you and your personality the best. This is something that I say about the high intensity stuff: is that actually bodybuilders are very, very all in. Bodybuilders in general are very intense people. Um, so more often than not, they just fucking enjoy failure work, you know, and they're kind of a bit sadistic like that. Like me, I love to just push myself to failure. So that kind of training style suits me, and that suits 80% of my clients. I've got some new clients who will work off r and I've got some clients who just don't like to push themselves that hard, maybe older clients, they don't like to push to that failure. Um, so you'd base off r and and you just accumulate volume that way, but inevitably the fundamentals stay the same. Execution, minimum intensity, progressing so I, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't not program something for some reason. I would, I would just assess what the person needs and go from there. But for me right now, everything's working. Um, I can't really change much right now. I'm four weeks out, you know, but as soon as we get into this off season, I'm going to get crazy with some training. I can't wait to just try some new things and see what works me grow, um, which would be cool. Um, not waking, this is not a question, but not waking for a piss in the night. So this can be a few things. Um, mainly it could just be that you're drinking too much water, which is not a problem. I'm always against like giving people a curfew for water because water is fucking essential. Um, but maybe just start to taper off your water. So like if you have six liters a day, have four before four or five, you know, and then just taper off as you go down. Um, and then that'd be really, really good. Um, you should look at your electrolyte balance. So something that helped me stop getting up is low salt. Um, it's basically 66% less sodium, 66% more potassium. Um, and then you'd I, like, so I salt my meals with, with sea salt and then I'll use low salt as well for the potassium. So you get, you know, we should be having like four to six grams of potassium a day. That is like a hundred million bananas. It's not a hundred million bananas, but it's a lot of bananas. There's a lot of things containing potassium or you can just use low, low salt and it can really promote, um, a good cellular hydration. It's obviously the imbalance in electrolytes that can make you really want to piss a lot. Um, so maybe just add in some low salt. That's probably my best advice. It really, really helps a lot of my clients. Um, it's like three or four pound off Amazon. You can get it in Tesco. You can get it everywhere, Holland and Barrett. Um, so maybe just try that. I think I think that would be a good first port of call to go to. Um, determining good or bad genetics and if bodybuilding is a sport for you. So I, I, I talk about this sometimes with people and I sometimes just think the way to tell if you've got good genetics or bodybuilding genetics is like, do people compliment you a lot? Does that make sense? Like, do people go, fuck me, you look good? Or do people go, whoa? Because people people can't hide that, you know? Like when you're training, the people are like going, damn, you look good. You know, or your friends say you look really good. If you, if they do, odds are you've probably got the genetics of bodybuilding, you know? Like I've got kids who are very, I got kids who are coach who are very, very insecure. And they always tell me that their mates say that they look like this and look like that. And, 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 and I'm like, okay, there's a reason why they're saying that. And they send me pictures. And I'm like, fuck me, you look good. And you're like, if, if, if you look in the mirror and you think, yeah, I look damn good. You got the genetics for it. You know, um, if you look and you think, why can't I get this? Why can't I get that? You probably don't have the genetics for it. And that, and that's, that's, that's the harsh reality of it is that some people are not built for it. Do you have big hips? Do you have short muscle bellies? Is it hard for you to gain muscle? Are you really, really tall? These are all things that probably mean you aren't best suited to bodybuilding. And that is the reality of bodybuilding is that it's massively to do with genetics. While work rate will get you very, very far, um, while drugs will get you very, very far as well, um, there's only so much that genetics, there's only so much that that can do versus genetics. So yeah, difficult. Into stretch stretching, dynamic versus static best for bulking um so i've done post uh like loaded stretching i would never do static stretching static stretching can can promote parasympathetic nervous system can promote um that relax um that relaxingness parasympathetic um so you i would never stretch i would never foam roll around a workout but i would do loaded stretches at the end of a body part for example if i'm doing lats on my last lat exercise i would load a stretch up just to really pump as much blood in there to get as much fascial release in there and to get as much tension through the muscle just to finish it off um but i wouldn't do like 
a mid-session stretch or anything like that because you essentially you want muscles to be short you want muscles to be tight um to generate as much force as possible if you've got like a nice supple muscle it's probably not going to generate as much force as like a nice contracted hard one um so that's something you need to consider uh we are pulling up onto the 50 minute mark these podcasts are getting long aren't they um i hope you guys don't mind i hope you guys enjoyed this one don't forget to like comment subscribe don't forget to follow me on instagram don't forget to follow me on youtube don't forget to support your boy if there's any questions across the board let me know speak to you soon Peace, love, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.